Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by MUBI, the online streaming cinema. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have Bill Graham and Michael Snydell. Hello. Why hasn't uh, Nick Cave been in a Coen Brothers movie? Uh, you know, it took them this long to get um, Tom Waits in a Coen Brothers movie, so Nick Cave, you know, can't be too far behind, right? Is, is it? Is this the first time Tom Waits has shown up? I'm pretty sure, yeah. Oh, wow. You see, that's crazy. <laughs> I know. It took David Lowry and Martin McDonough less movies to get Tom Waits <laughs> than it did the Coen brothers. Sure. That's, that's bananas. Oh, wow. It is truly bananas. Um, <laughs> we are here today to talk about The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, a movie that has been out for over a month on Netflix, and we have had a strange amount of listeners shouting at us to cover this movie. So here we are. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're, uh, we're going to talk about the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Before that, all the usual nonsense. Find us on Twitter at Filmstage Show, Facebook, The Filmstage Show. Email us, podcast at thefilmstage.com. And of course, find us on iTunes. Give us a comment and rating. Become a patron at patreon.com slash the film stage show. And for as little as $1 an episode, you can help us produce more wonderful content for your ears. And of course, we are brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema where their charismatic, grand affluent, I don't even know what word I'm going for, curators every day find a new film for you to enjoy. You have... 30 days to enjoy each film so you can do the math on that that's a constantly rotating selection of 30 films for you to check out there's some great stuff there we um we keep doing these these episodes faster and faster um we're gonna get to the point soon where we're not even gonna have a brand new movie <laughs> on movie to talk about luckily we're not there yet if you have 318 minutes to spare you Bill's favorite movie oh, is, of is this, 2015. Is this happy hour? <laughs> Hell yeah. Happy hour. I've heard good things, man. I want to see it. I just I just got to clear out a shit ton of time, yeah. <laughs> which I do not have right now. According to Mubi, don't balk at the runtime. This is worth it. Ah. Yeah. He's got a, good he's got a big movie at, uh, from this year. It's a can that's coming out in 2019 that I've heard a lot about. Yeah, that I don't a, want to butcher the name of because I can't remember it. <laughs> this is a compassionate drama of four 30-something women, which offers a rare emotional and psychological intimacy in its group portrait of these friends. Its ambitious and immersive storytelling makes it one of the best-kept secrets of 2010's cinema. So that is currently on movie, along with a bevy of other fine foreign, independent, and classic films. All you gotta do to get your free 30-day trial of movie is go to MU bi.com slash film stage again that is mubi.com slash film stage I, I looked it up briefly the the film in 2019 is asako one and two okay all right <laughs> um and that's it that's all the the preamble no guest to this episode obviously and uh we're here to talk about the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which is the newest film from Joel and Ethan Cohen, written by Joel and Ethan Cohen, with um, two based on a story by credits for Jack London and Stuart Edward White. Anyway, um, this movie is now on Netflix. As I said, we have gotten a bizarre amount of people asking us to record our thoughts on it. And so here we are, and here is the trailer. People are so easily distracted. 
So I'm the distractor with a little story. People can't get enough of them. Because, well, they connect the stories to themselves, I suppose. And we all love hearing about ourselves. So long as the people in the stories are us. But not us. All right, so that is the trailer for The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. New film on Netflix. Let's see what we all thought about this movie. Um, First of all, as far as synopsis goes uh this movie could you know very well be called a million ways to die in the west (laughs) this is an anthology film it's got six different stories about life in the old west and um yeah also death (laughs) yeah a lot of those involve people probably you know maybe dying um we're gonna do a very brief intro just basic thoughts and then we're gonna skip into spoilers so we could talk about each of these individually without having to worry about a specific spoiler section for each of them. So let's just talk overall. How did how was your viewing experience? How did you enjoy the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, Michael Snydell? You know, I I, I still kind of wonder whether I'm ever going to find an anthology film I really like because I think by the very vir- virtue of the format, I I think that I'm always going to want more. Uh, no matter how well it tries to cohere the the different segments, no matter what it's trying to say is a larger piece. So as you can expect, like this was just very hit and miss for me. And I think that although it is very characteristically Cohen's in the sense of the gallows humor and the, you know, the, the bitter irony that runs through so many of these, I couldn't help but find a lot of this oddly strained. Um, and so I think, I think one or two things have, you know, that odd grace that I'd, you know, uh, compare to something like a serious man or, um, or, or even, you know, Oh brother, where art thou? But just, uh, when it, when it came to it, I found that on nearly every one of these, I was either thinking, Oh, I wish that was a little bit longer or my God, why is this one so long? Um, so yeah, it, I, I don't know. It's been about a week and a half since I've watched this, and I, I really haven't thought about it much. Uh, and if we didn't have to talk about it, I, I'm pretty sure it would disappear <laughs> from my <laughs> mind. All right. Bill Graham. I think the Coen Brothers films are usually ones that I have a tough time kind of getting into and, and really kind of sinking my teeth in. And they're always improve on second, third, fourth watch, things like that. Um, sometimes I'm a little cold on them upon initial viewing. Uh, but for the most part, they improve with age with, with rewatch. And this one I found, I don't know whether it's because the timeline is so compressed because there are six individual shorts or whatever it is, but I was able to kind of jump in and, and attach myself a lot more easily to some of these more than I was expecting. Um, and so I think for most audiences, if, if that's kind of your similar thing, I think you might find a few in here that you really latch onto right off the bat. And so I think that's, that's promising. It's a good thing. Um, it's interesting that they decided to use this format and to use Netflix as, as their distributor for this. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed myself overall. I think there are some, some that lack, but overall, you know, well done by them. And, you know, I, I've got no complaints. Should we each do just say our, our favorite segments? I don't know that even spoilers. Okay. I'm just looking at it currently. What if you don't have one? Okay. That's fine. I mean, I guess near Algodones, the one with James Franco, just because it's like the shortest. Okay. Mm -hmm. Did you have a specific uh, favorite Michael Snydell? Uh, yeah, I thought the most about Meal Ticket. I, I probably thought the most about Meal Ticket and um, the, the gal who got rattled. But, like, not in a I good way. I hated that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, like, so the ones that Ugh. I thought about the most were the ones that I disliked the most. 
Interesting. Okay, sorry. Um, so yeah, my Bill, did you have one that you particularly liked? I like the gal who got rattled. All right, it's um, going to be fun spoiler section. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I found this to be a handsomely made monotonous journey through the the minds of two people who very clearly hate humanity, um, <laughs> which I'm fine with. I'm not a huge fan of humanity, but I mean, I don't know. Like, the, this is such like a weird, fatalistic, just nihilist. And like each of these has a kind of like ironic or dark twist to it that like I guess if I was reading them in a book it would be fine because I wouldn't have to plot on to the next one like one of my favorite short story authors is Brees Dij Pancake um, who is a man who like killed himself when he was 23 um, he what got nationality is he? I'm, I'm just curious with that name. Uh, West Virginian. Oh, I was actually, okay. Never mind. I was actually going to get into this. Um, <laughs> Sorry. The reason that he um, that he is Brees Dij Pancake is that his his name is Brees DJ Pancake, but when he was first published in I think the Atlantic Monthly, they typoed his his middle initials, but he was just like, hey, I kind of like that. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. He he killed himself when he was 26. Oh, great. Cool. Yeah. Um, and as you can imagine from a, a uh, short story author from West Virginia who killed himself when he was 26, um, many of his short stories are quite dark and unhappy. But like you can read one and then set it down and live in it and think about it and try to see what he was going for. And often his stories do have like a deeper a deeper meaning. And a lot of these vignettes or whatever you want to call them in the Ballad of Buster Scruggs just seem to be like, how much can we fuck with the audience? And like, that's, that's fine in like a Twilight Zone episode though. Again, most Twilight Zone episodes had something to say about humanity. Um, for like the era that that show came from, it was a shockingly like liberal progressive show. Um, cause basically you always got screwed over by your own, bigotry and hypocrisy and you know misanthropy and this movie is just like anyone can get it for any reason <laughs> which is totally fine i love the movie the gray but the gray is about people like finding meaning in the fight before like the end times you know and and this movie is just like yeah you might be doing fine but you gonna get it and i am I found, and once I grokked to that, each of these just became like a huge, just bummer. Cause I was like, all right, what the fuck is going to go wrong this time? Like, and I started trying to catch them before they happened. And I, I guess it's to their credit as writers that they constantly surprised me, but like not in a good way because I still knew that everything was going to end poorly. Um, and so, yeah, I, uh, I watched this movie I thought that it was super well made. I thought that many of the performances were quite good. And then um, when it was over, I was like, well, God damn it. Why the fuck did I do that? I, I, I can't super disagree. <laughs> but, I, <laughs> yeah. I, but I want to talk. I, I'm looking forward to talking about some of these and in more detail. Uh, and, and it is, you know, I think the Twilight Zone thing is like a really interesting you know, place to start at an interesting point of comparison, you know, given the easy insults that are thrown at Twilight Zone as being like cheap. And I would almost never say Twilight Zone is cheap. And cheap was one of the first words that came to mind after I, I finished this movie, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, because again, like the Twilight Zone, it builds up to it. And like when these things happen to people, like these dark endings, it's usually like comeuppance of a kind, or it's, it's like saying something broader about humanity, but this is like just a movie full of like scamps and myth misanthropes who are just like constantly trying to, to fuck one another over. And again, like I love a, a heist. I love a con movie. Like house of games sure. is nothing but that, but it's like entertaining and twisty and has like a sense of spirited fun. And this movie I just found to be like one story after another of like a, a fucking cat playing with a mouse. 
And that kind of wanton cruelty and malice just doesn't really, it's not what I want out of my time. So sure. yeah, I didn't, I didn't like it that much. I didn't let's, like uh, hate it. Let's hop into spoilers. Cause I, I got, I got some questions about <laughs> that kind of take. So yeah. All right. Um, I will say that like, I, I would, I would tell people to watch this despite like how little Same. I liked it. Like, I, I think that there are people who would enjoy this uh, and it's, and Brian, like I said, it's well made, but like, I just can't, you know, not for me, I guess would be the way to put it. Brian, do you, do you have a tough time sometimes coming into Coen brothers films like I do or not is, usually are, no, okay. which is weird. Like I loved, um, talking of like a cat playing with a mouse. I loved a serious man. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, um, and that that's one that that I had a tough time kind of coming into. I didn't know what to expect, and neither did my audience. Um, same thing with uh, uh, the the one about the musician with uh, with Adam Driver and oh, every, uh, every fucking other person. Inside Lewin Davis. I um yeah. I at first did not like that movie much, but it has grown incredibly in my estimation. Um, mm. I don't mm. see that happening with this one though. Um, and maybe that's because like inside Lewin Davis has like a, a deep peering into the soul of a character and a serious man is very clearly about like the inability of religion to even wrestle with like religious style, you know, angry God retribution and, and, and nonsense. <laughs> but, yeah. but yeah, like I said, there's something about the Western setting of this movie and like how, much glee they seem to take in setting people up just to knock them down that really like kind of bummed me out i also love burn after reading because that's just like Same. a stupid fun movie well i mean that that one's easy to get into right from the bat right and i know and i know hail caesar as well is something that's a little more i'm pretty sure it's a little more mixed on this podcast uh, brian you don't like hail caesar do you i found it less than the sum of its parts okay like but my, my, my it was point, fine I was but i was you know was like, i don't know yeah that, my point i was gonna say though is like that one i partly you know love that i could see their affection for classic cinema but also i really like just how it, it almost felt to me like a culmination of their entire career and the sense of their obsession with like incidents and fate and and them like constantly colliding and that, that idea over and over about things not mattering and things mattering constantly. And I found that really interesting. And like, I, I think all of these like potentially interesting conflicts that have been there in the past for me that, you know, I guess we've, we've already talked about a number of them. Mm-hmm. Like they just weren't there for me. And, and, you know, I, I do want to say, I kind of want to talk about Gal who got rattled because that was the one that really. Are, are kinda... we are we in spoilers yet? We're not or... in spoilers, but we're okay. we're oh, about we're to get I'm in there sorry. once. Oh yeah, I thought you were making a final non-spoiler thing, Michael. That was my final thing. I, I just kind of wanted to lead into that's the one I think where I was completely off the reservation to take a to take a, a bad metaphor here. Yeah, and um. Yeah, I mean, you know, let, let's just do it. Let's get into spoilers because I was going to say something oblique about Meal Ticket, but yeah, screw it. Uh, so spoilers for the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Um, first of all, I just want to say, like every every single goddamn piece of um, preview, you know, image or anything that I saw for this movie was just Tim Blake Nelson sure. in that Roy Rogers getup. <laughs> looking goofy and i legitimately thought that this whole movie was going to be like here's buster scruggs getting into different scrapes so the fact that he is straight up fucking murdered and then flies to heaven um and then the next thing has nothing to do with him i was like oh well that's good because i don't know if i could have handled a whole movie with him but towards the middle i was like fuck god damn it bring back buster scruggs Um, so let's, let's, uh, so yeah, what, just, just to, to blast through it. I mean, what did we all think of the first one? The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. I, I, I thought it was like on, 
on a purely a design level, like thinking about the way the clockwork way that that one works in between the the musical section and the choreography of the gun battles, like I found it fascinating. But I also just I, I think like you, Brian, I kind of felt this immediate like functioning metaphor and like darkness that was just going to be omnipresent throughout this. Like it, it's. I, I don't know. There is just it, it's it's hard to say why this feels weaponized to me in a way that the other movies don't. Because I think that there's a cruelty throughout all of their movies. So I I, I almost feel like I'm uh, pulling a double standard with some of this stuff. But I, I just think that that first one's okay. But it, it was also my first yellow flag <laughs> i was um yeah i i thought that this one was going to be like the tone setter and it's by far the goofiest you know breaking the third wall like kind of sure. inverting tropes and then and then all the others seem to be pretty like i won't say realistic but they they're going for some kind of like naturalism Sure. To an extent. But, and so to start with this one was just like, I don't know if they were trying to like juke me or not, <laughs> but I was like, you know, how do we go from CGI angel wings flying into heaven singing a song to to this? To like this crazy Literal thing. gallows. <laughs> yeah. Bill, did you have any specific thoughts about the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, the, the segment? I enjoyed it. I enjoyed its whimsical feel. I enjoyed the fact that it's so fucking violent, like in spurts um, and really kind of out of nowhere, considering your kind of lead in with this guy that's in all white. And, you know, typically when someone's dressed in all white, usually either violence is going to happen around them or not, because you know, either that is going to get dirty or it's going to stay pristine. And somehow he has violence erupt all around him all the time and still looks pristine. So, uh, I thought that was kind of clever. Until um, he gets shot in the head. <laughs> yes. Uh, until he gets shot in the head. Um, but I, I don't know, like I, I enjoyed that. It was light. It was fun. It was a good way for me to have an in into this film because it was basically like, all right, kind of, you know, shrug your shoulders, kind of get loose and, and let's sit down and let's have some fun. Uh, I did not expect it. Uh, him to die as quick as he did i didn't know what kind of timeline some of these shorts were going to have and so that was kind of shocking to me was you know i was just starting to settle in and get used to this character and you know third time's a charm and he meets <laughs> his match on that third one and it's just like ah shit okay also, well not gonna follow this guy anymore <laughs> this segment has the biggest twist which is that curly joe's brother is not played by jack black because <laughs> i was like oh it's weird that they got jack black for like this one thing but it's apparently a guy named danny mccarthy mm. yeah and i was just like oh shit that's crazy <laughs> like because i would have literally bet a hundred dollars that that was jack black <laughs> um so the next one was uh near algodones mm -hmm. with james franco as a bank robber um this is a good this is a good time to bring up that each of these uh is is buttressed on either end by like the first and then last page of whatever like story this is in the storybook that kind of creates the framing device for this movie i'm curious who wrote those by the way i know obviously jack london and um the you know two of them are adapted but the mm. other ones i'm curious who wrote the prose yeah in, in those storybook sections i also loved the illustrations and that's why yeah. i bring it up <laughs> now because near algodones has has um Oh, crap. What's his name? Steven Root. Yes. In nothing but like covered in pans and long johns screaming pan shot whenever <laughs> a bullet ricochets off of his armor. Um, He's a treasure. Yeah. And yeah. I, like, I, like I said, I liked this one the most just because it was like super simple and like mm. everything that happened to this guy like made sense. And I think that it has like one of the best instances of literal and figurative gallows humor that I have ever seen. 
I feel like the way it uses the the Native Americans when they just kind of come as a chaotic force is far more interesting than how the girl that got rattled uses it as well. Mm-hmm. Bill Graham, any thoughts on this? Uh, I enjoyed this one too. I, I think I think <laughs> that whole uh, when Stephen Root disappears and you're like. <laughs> okay, what the fuck is going on here? And then he just kind of appears. I I love that. Um, I think this I is clearly think, something that has happened to him many times before. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, and I and I love that they James uh James Franco like uh dodges those shotgun blasts each one, each one, sure. each one, and then it. The camera pulls back and it shows that like a shotgun <laughs> is sitting there at each one yeah. of those sections. And you're just like, okay, this is uh, this guy's fucking prepared. <laughs> so yeah, I, I don't know. Like this one, I think co- going back to back with the Buster Scruggs one, I I was really like, all right, I'm I am on board. And then fucking meal ticket happens and you're just like, Oh fuck. Yeah. Uh, I think I can see my girlfriend falling asleep right now. You know, it's just like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. What? What? I, I mean, you know, of course you want to put meal ticket in the middle of this. Um, you don't want to have it at the end. You don't want to start it off with it, but, um, yeah, that, that was, uh, that came, uh, all the momentum that this film had kind of came to a screeching halt there. They so are like, clearly trying to modulate tone in going mm-hmm. from the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which is like jaunty and funny, and even in its darkness is still trying to be jaunty and funny, to Near sure. Algodones, which is like super fucking weird, and then like darkly funny, to Meal Ticket, which is like getting smashed in the face with a baseball bat that's just painted with the words like irony on it or something. And Mm -hmm. then all gold Canyon is a bit more lyrical and has a happy ending. And then the girl who got rattled is like kind of cute and romantic until it's not. You already mentioned that all gold Canyon has, has a happy ending. So I'm, I'm curious about like why all of these feel like they're all so dark and, and just like, fuck you humanity because like that one ends well fucking shot i mean like Uh, you know but like uh, uh, like who doesn't get shot in the wild west in in fucking i am certain many people never got shot in film in film um i think it's also just like a mercenary feeling to even like the theme of that like even if no one dies at the end of all gold can I, I guess well, we'll someone dies, no, but not the guy no, we care I, about. But but the point being that, like, even the last, if I'm remember correctly, the last shot is just kind of a wide shot of the river, the riverbank, and it's with all of the divots, like this place that was once really beautiful that's just been you know mm-hmm. kind of picked dry by humanity. So like, I, I, am I right, guys? Is that the last shot of that sequence? Yeah, it's yeah the the bird or not the bird the yes. um the deer comes in and is like huh yeah yeah. So like that, that I would say I, it's not a death bill, but I, I think that again is, is pretty in line. Yeah. Cause that. he's, but, he's in like this beautiful wonderland sure. and he, I mean, he's not, again, he's probably the nicest character who doesn't get murdered or like, you know, heartbroken or something in this entire yeah. thing. But like, you know, he steals, he's stealing like all the owl eggs and then he sees the owl looking at him. He's like, ah, God damn it. And then he like only takes one. Um, you know, but like it does, it it ends with like this pristine, beautiful wilderness that like the 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 sketch beforehand says like he looked and saw neither man nor the works of man. Sure. And suddenly he's like ravaged like the heart of this valley in his search for gold and then like been shot and then murdered someone else. And, you know, the creatures come back, but it's not as it was. And he says that he'll be back, Mr. Pocket, to get to get more stuff more gold from Mr. Pocket. Well, I think like, I think the other thing too is, you know, I do like, I like all gold Canyon probably second best maybe. And in that one, I do particularly like one cause I think they get the, the tone pretty right in it. But also because I, I think that the whole, I, I didn't just didn't totally vibe with this whole idea of these just being stories of, of life and death in kind of a similar way to what you're talking about, Brian. It's just like, at least uh, there's something more specific 
and a lot more tactile to me in Meal Ticket and All Gold Canyon in how it kind of gets across just kind of that like the uh, rambling cross-country feel but also like the bitter harshness of being in that a lot more than some of these where, you know, people are just dying because it's their time or because, you know, there is a a fate that's been dictated for them long before. Mm-hmm. Like there's just something about that to me that feels a lot easier than meal ticket and all gold, all gold Canyon. Um, and I like, I, I know we kind of skipped it a little bit, but I, I would like to talk about it. We're going to talk, like about to talk about it a little bit. Yeah. Uh, we just, you we go somehow ahead. got started on all good Canyon and it felt like, why not just get it out of the way? Um, sure. So now we could talk about meal ticket and the gal who got rattled back to back. <laughs> um, meal ticket. Uh, Liam Neeson is a, is a, he's billed as the impresario sure. and Harry Melling, who a is Harry Potter actor. Yeah. Mostly. He's, mm-hmm. he's the shitty nephew or cousin isn't he yeah dudley dudley do right dursley there's there's too much harry potter talk in the last two episodes (laughs) (laughs) that's why i called him like a nephew before i called him whatever he actually is he's a cousin right he's harry potter's cousin sure yes uh so it's their aunts it's their sons yeah right um very quickly, who? How are they related to Harry Potter? Like, are they on the mom or the dad's side? No. <laughs> Mom's like, mom. Yeah. God, that's wow. Fucking Mrs. Potter had a shitty family. Anyway, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. so here we are uh, talking about Harry Melling as a legless, armless artist. He's a performer who gets up, and I think he gives like the best performance in this whole shebang. I, I would agree. Yeah, which makes his eventual fate all the more harrowing. Um, but he delivers those monologues like super great. Like when he when he launches into Ozymandias and yeah. like all the people lean forward, I was like, yeah, I get it because he is rocking it. And so basically Liam Neeson is carting him around and, you know, he's doing performances and Liam Neeson you know, is passing the hat around for money and slowly but surely as like the weather gets worse and they continue their travels, like they're making less and less money. And then, you know, at last, um, Liam Neeson buys a chicken that can do math. And, uh, he decides that he doesn't need uh, the artist anymore. And he tosses him off a bridge. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Michael Snydell. What are your, no, I I, uh, I think what I really like about this is I was just feeling a certain I, – I wasn't feeling the strain that I was feeling with some of these. I, I like, for instance, a lot of the kind of unusual choices they make. I mean you already talked a little bit about the monologue, but I like how – very quickly in that segment, they start cutting through his monologue. So mm-hmm. it's it's not even like we're listening to it at a certain, a certain point. We're just almost – we're more focused on – fixated on how the audience is reacting, how Liam Neeson's character is reacting. And then we're spending like the crushing minute by minute when he's literally just watching life happen around him. Like I, I really liked that, that, uh, that formal choice and – how much this commits to that without relying on like a functional twist. Like, like there's just something there that felt uh, more thought out to me. Um, And and I can, I can see how some people say this changed the momentum, but I, again, I, maybe I just wanted something more like this because I'm a, a a really uh, pessimistic motherfucker, but (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I I don't know. I, I it sounds like you guys are a little a little more mixed or uh, or dislike this one. So I'd I'd like to hear both your feelings about it. I think if you were gonna do this to him, you could have done it five minutes earlier, and it wouldn't have changed anything. I think that in my mind, like if that's where we're going, hmm. like I got it after like the second dwindled show. You didn't have to show me five more and a trip to a prostitute. You know, like. I think the the prostitute is is a fun little jaunt because it, it is it it basically sums up 
his entire experience with Liam Neeson in this moment, because it's just like this guy like, clearly does not give a fuck about you. You know, um, you are literally a mail ticket. Uh, but I do think that had I seen three or four less plays, uh, that would have been fine for me. Um, I, I hmm. get it. I get it. I get it. I don't need to watch. Um, Cause it's not so, even like to, to what we've both now said, Bill, I feel like if you, if you're going to show that many, like maybe have them like Liam Neeson seems to be taking like very good care of this guy. So like maybe have them be more chummy up front and then have like a strain, like appear between them the more you're going to do that. But like, as it is, it just seems like Liam Neeson's taking really good care of him, but doesn't give a shit about him. And then it just keeps happening, happening, happening. And then he throws him off a bridge. Like if they had maybe started off with like, they're joking around a little bit or Liam Neeson, like slowly becomes colder to him in the way that he's taking care of him, you know, but like instead it just like, just comes out of kind of comes out of nowhere. (laughs) we don't even know if the goddamn chicken's going to do its job. <laughs> no, we do not. I would assume Fair that enough. when you buy this this chicken from this guy, he's like, all right, here's how you make it work. But like, you know, yeah, I, don't I was know. I was waiting for the instruction manual to be given to him and <laughs> and like nothing happens. And I was just like, nah, you can't just feed that chicken like that's not going to work, man. Like that 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 chicken doesn't have a brain like that. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I don't know. Um, so yeah, I mean like this, it just, this felt like along with the gal who got rattled, like the longest Mm. one and just like, at least the gal who got rattled was like building a relationship. And this one was just like a kind of trudge Mm -hmm. through this thing that was happening. And then like, you know, you see Liam Neeson toss the rock in and go, yeah, that'll work. I think I found each, uh, subsequent, play a little uh, more rewarding than to both of you but i i can't i can't necessarily disagree or misunderstand where you're coming from in terms of you know the lack of character development yeah and I mean, again though i i don't know i i just i don't think i've ever seen especially a film anthology that i really thought was wholly successful <laughs> yeah like what other ones have we had or do you know have you have you read or not read but watched that you kind of i really like certain women actually from uh a few years ago from kelly record okay you know i just i never got around to seeing that one yeah um That's, that that is not the one with Kristen stewart because i know there yes, were it was, it, uh, okay hold on were there two film? There were two films that had like nearly the same like names, right? It was there not twenty first century or twentieth century women. It was certain women. Okay, then I saw certain women. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> we talked twentieth century women on this podcast. I did. I, I did on not that episode. No, that because is is that that's the Annette one where Benning. like. Yeah, no, 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 no. I didn't see that one. Okay. Okay. I would right. love it if you did and just don't remember. <laughs> <sighs> okay, so I'm Yeah, no, you weren't on it. It was me, Michael Snydell, and Jordan Raup. Yep. No, okay. I didn't I didn't see that one. That would yeah, be yeah, so yeah. fucking funny. Um so yeah, let's uh this that's meal ticket. We already talked about all gold canyon. Um Let's move on. Let's talk about the other one, the gal who got rattled. Did anyone actually check? Is this actually the longest one? I don't know how you would check that. (laughs) I don't have run times in front of me, unfortunately. So that's Bill, this is your job. (laughs) You're supposed to be the one who's obsessed with Uh, run times. (laughs) Everything was under two hours. So all of the segments. Actually, actually it's not. It's 133. You son of a bitch. (laughs) But you see, I think they tricked you by breaking it up. Yes. So you couldn't like you could <laughs> and, pause and I did between pause them it at like, oh, some okay. point. So yeah, to get up and get a beer or something. So I did not. Yeah. I sat on my couch and watched this goddamn thing the whole way through. Um. So the gal who got rattled. Um. A girl who is very nervous goes on the Oregon Trail with her brother, who is a bit of a twat, and uh, he dies, and then she uh, impresses 
Billy Which Knapp. thing does he die of that's totally an Oregon Trail? The cough? <laughs> I don't think it was dysentery. Uh, yeah, uh, it says he dies of cholera. Okay, I was about to say probably cholera. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, he dies of cholera. Uh, she gets left with his crappy dog. And, you know, um, Billy Knapp, who is one of the uh, like teamsters, I guess. He's, he's one of the trail guides. Starts helping her out. And they have a really cute romance. And he's like, you know, Mrs. Longabow, I'd, I'd really love to, to marry you and settle with you in Oregon. And she's like, oh, my, that does sound wonderful. And then she goes out to look for this terrible dog that has been missing and then is uh, surrounded or like some some Native Americans show up. And this guy's friend tries to help her to, to weather this attack. And he succeeds. Unfortunately, he had previously given her a gun and told her to kill herself if it looked like things were going to go bad. And she got rattled, and she did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, okay, so there are actual content things, but I, I am curious. So interestingly enough, this is the one I've heard the most about performance-wise. Uh, performance wise. So uh, Bill Heck, I, yeah, I thought he was pretty good. He's a good cowboy. people seem to really like Zoe Kazan, and I, I thought I, she was – I, I do too. I, I love her as an actress. Yeah. I didn't think she was great in this. <laughs> I, I thought she was a lot in this. I think she has been great in um, Revolutionary Road, The Big Sick, Ruby Sparks. Um, there's a movie that no one has seen called In Your Eyes. Oh yeah, that's the Joss Whedon one. Yeah, which I uh, I quite liked that. Um, written by Joss Whedon, directed by Bryn Hill. Okay, and it's about two people who can like randomly, uh, for no reason that I remember ever being truly elucidated in the film, like sometimes see what the other one is seeing, and they like fall in love, and all this stuff happens. And um, so, Sense Eight before Sense Eight. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably. I um, I wrote a review for this movie, I think, hmm. um, for the film stage, and I uh, I really liked what, it. What website is that? The film stage. <laughs> oh i've never heard of it uh, how do you get to that website no bits yeah i did I reviewed, I reviewed this uh apparently for the tribeca film festival but i had gotten a screener because i have never been to the tribeca films festival and i gave it a b minus well you didn't like it that much <laughs> that's still a pretty good one <laughs> i called it an effective and honestly a- moving romance the 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 famous B minus is a really good movie. <laughs> Look, Michael Snydell's the one who's like, I never give anything over a C, man. This is true. This is true. <laughs> I give a lot of C pluses and B minuses. I'm fine with that. B minus is a movie that I would unapologetically yeah. tell anyone to go see, but it's not like going to change your life, you know. I probably S- gave the vow a B minus, well. you know. Yeah, I gave the choice a C plus. If we want to talk about Nicholas. Sparks uh, book adaptations. I don't think we have to. <laughs> I mean, I would, wait, the vow was based on a true story. Wait, I thought the vow was the one with Channing Tatum and yeah. Rachel McAdams. It's a Nicholas Sparks novel. No, that is a true goddamn story. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Also, I only gave that one a C, so clearly it's not as good as <laughs> In Your Eyes. Uh, anyway, about, uh, what are we talking President about? We're talking about the gal who got rattled. Yeah, let's talk about President Pierce. Zoe that, Kazan that is not great in this. Um, Billy Knapp doesn't have a lot to do, but he's good at the kind of stoic, nice guy cowboy. I kept waiting for... This is the one where I was like fucking fed up with this movie. <laughs> and I was mm. like, oh, what? Is he going to like murder and rape her? Or is she going to turn out to be like a black widow who poisoned her brother? Um but the ending isn't much better than the two you just suggested. Yeah, correct. I, I still didn't like it. And it, it is one of those things where it's like, like I could see that as like a plot point in a larger film or something. Or like if this movie had purely been about her or like this section had purely been about like her nervousness and her her inexperience and like, you know, oh, you've got to learn to like toughen up a little bit and like Mrs. Longabow. But like. She seems to be doing okay, and she never seems nervous so much as she just seems, like, confused and, yeah. and helpless. I, I and think she so, has some trouble, like, wrapping her 
her line or her lines around like the mannerisms and the twang too. Yeah. Like she seems to me the one who seems to have the most difficulty with that. She, um, she struggles with the period like appropriateness of her, her performance. And like, you know, Billy Knapp is as Bill or Bill Heck as Billy Knapp, you know, just has to be like, oh, shucks, like good guy, you know, and sure. shy and like trouble with words. But she's she's got to like thread a finer needle. So like he has yeah. a greater target to hit. But I mean, you know, it's still it's still I don't think a very good performance on her part because she just seems. And that's one of the reasons why I was like, there's no fucking way that this woman is this like twitchy, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but she is apparently. And um. And then, yeah, the guy uh, who who is uh, Billy Knapp's friend is like, oh, boy, like she ought not have had to do that. And then, like, goes back to tell Billy, I guess, like, hey, that brought you were into just shot herself. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I think that friend, too, is just kind of a little bit underwritten, even though, like, it's on the wrong side of vague and trying to like make him a little more mysterious, like a mere or not mysterious, but like you know, an old timer who, who? Uh, his his friend. And I'm sorry, I'm talking about M- Billy Mr. Knapp's Arthur. Friend. Yes, Mr. Arthur. Uh, Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, like I I don't know. Like his performance to me was that just ended up on on, on the wrong side of what was intended to. Even though he felt very much like a Cohen character to yeah. me, which is I, I guess that's kind of weird. Is that all of the main characters in this movie very much seem like they fit into that universe. Like there's never a time where they really seem, you know, like they're really getting out of their comfort zone. <laughs> What's also weird is that, um, I don't know, this is something that popped out to me for some reason, but like this, there's two different people in this movie who seem to have to like explain what is happening after it's already kind of been explained. And it's uh Steven root with the pan shots and Granger Hines is Mr. Arthur with the like the prairie dog holes mm. where it's like every time that Stephen Root didn't collapse after getting shot, even though we saw the ricochet and heard the, the, the spark and everything would scream pan shot, which I thought was just him like having fun with James Franco. But then this guy, every time uh, a Native American horse like plants in a prairie dog hole and like topples, he's like, yeah, you sure. got a prairie dog hold. And I'm just like, yeah, I fucking get it. <laughs> I, I mean, I can I can have a little fun with him having fun in that moment of life and death. Like for me, like it, he, like I, I, would, I understand like, I understand that, but like there was a part of me that was like, do the Coens just think that I don't get it? Like, is that why they keep doing this? It seems kind of weird that they would have to have this guy keep shouting this. Um, I, I don't think they give a shit what we think. To be honest with you, that is I, po- I, very possible. <laughs> I agree. Uh, I I listened to a. It was a top 10 talking about uh, this year in film, and he was mentioning – this was on The Ringer, and he was mentioning how he listened to Terry Gross uh, interview the Coens. I guess they were on Fresh Air recently, and that she had like these nice, intricate, beautiful questions, and they gave like nine-word answers, and that was it. And it was just <laughs> like, yeah, they don't – like – like it's on the screen and and that's what this guy was saying was basically like it's on the screen and they don't they don't really want to tell you or do anything more than just give you what's on the screen and make it make of it what you want you know um so yeah i i honestly don't think they have any interest in like what we give a shit about and like (laughs) and like does that make sense i don't think they give a fuck like i really don't (laughs) Yeah, but um, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I just found this, you know, like, you know, I, there's I, part of me that's I just mean, like, there's I, part of I, me that's just like, why the hell I did I have it. to have all that, that build up? Like, in, in a lot of these situations, it's like, if this is the only reason you're doing it is to give me this like twist ending, like cut out the first ten minutes, like, you know, mm. it, it just is like if you showed me and her and him like having one cute conversation over their dinner. And then having her blow her own brains out, it probably would have done the same thing to me as the rest of this. But I wouldn't feel cheated the time that I invested in them. It's it's um, spoiler alert for Game of Thrones. Same bullshit that I felt when the red red, red wedding happened. Like I watched what, that episode that? and I was like, 
well, fuck, like, why the hell did I care so much about the military shit going on if that was going to happen? You know? Because, like, I like that twist. I like that twist. I hate that kind of twist. Like, it's just, like, and I know that, like, I, I was writing a book once, and I said, I think at some point in the middle of this book, I'm going to have my character get hit by a bus, and then I'm just going to switch to all the other characters dealing with the fact that he died and leave all his bullshit completely unfinished. And then I was like, you know what? No, that's exactly the type of bullshit that people would expect from a first time writer. <laughs> like yeah, who thinks you, that you he's being for like the 10th book. <laughs> right. Who thinks that he's being more clever than like narrative convention, you know? And so I was like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to make this guy wallow in the shit that he's done and he's either going to fix it or he's not. Um, and so like, you know, in this, I kind of have the same thing. It's like, I spent so much time with this person and for you to just like cut it off and be like, and the moral of the story is life is pointless. Go fuck yourself <laughs> is just like annoying to me. Cause I like, I, I know life is pointless. And one of the reason that I enjoy movies and books is that you can filter it through a worldview and maybe like use it to make a point. And I don't feel like this movie particularly does that. Even though the mortal remains, the final thing is uh like seems to be trying to make a point about that mm-hmm. about like oh, we, yeah thank you <laughs> it's like <laughs> oh we like stories because you know we can think that they're about us but like looking back on this goddamn fucking nightmare of of shit that i just had to walk through to get to this final vaguely pretentious uh emily dickens poem um you know it's just like but i don't see myself in any of these characters so if that is the point that they're trying to make, I don't think that it works for me because I don't see myself in a single person in this movie. I definitely see myself in in the uh, the the mountain man. Um, you know, I, I see think, myself in Stephen Root. <laughs> uh, I I see myself as as kind of you know, I can I can understand where this guy is is talking about because <laughs> he's like. He's like everybody calls me talkative or, or or rambling, and I don't know what they're talking about. And before you know it, he's done exactly what, like he claims he doesn't understand. And it's just like, yeah, this guy doesn't have a lot of self awareness. And you know, I find myself battling with that myself. And so I was like, yeah. And I think I think everybody, when flaws are pointed out it's very difficult for them to like make amends with that and like, and like understand and reason with, okay, like, am I aware of that? Why do I keep doing that? Like, can I change? And it's like, nah, not really. Like you can try, but more than likely you're not going to succeed in that, in that realm. Um, it's very difficult to, to break, what you are um and so yeah i don't know like i i enjoyed that because all of these characters are basically having their flaws pointed out to them in like in a very easy manner sometimes and they just flat out reject it a lot of the times they're like no you're you're full of shit you know like like when the wife like has her reaction to her being like a put upon on her husband. She's like, fuck you guy. <laughs> and the guy's just like, okay, like, you know, I guess don't take my viewpoint, but I'm just telling you. <laughs> so, you know, this... and, and I, and I find it the most humorous thing about that is they do it to each other. And like the two guys that are the, the reapers, they don't even have to really do all that much they just sit back and kind of observe this you Mm -hmm. know they kind of kick it off but they observe it and so all three of them are basically pointing the finger at each other and not realizing that they're doing the exact same thing you know so i enjoyed it yeah i I feel like uh... that that last bit too is where they seem to take the most um honest pleasure in just words (laughs) words <laughs> like just mm-hmm. the way that 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 sequence is written even if i didn't you know i had trouble seeing these characters as more than archetypes like they're, they're definitely the most broad you know on purpose in that segments but yeah it's just the way that they talk to each other is so colorful and and seems so carefully 
chosen, which, which um, I know this this is the adaptation one, correct? I, uh, I don't mm. I don't think so. I don't know what you mean. Oh, okay, no, it's Gal who got rattled and All Gold Canyon. All right, so I was just trying to see if they yeah no, were they adding their own dialogue. This um this I don't know this to me felt like a like a high school film department knockoff of like the first act of The Hateful Eight. It it did. I I don't think dialogue wise it did, but in terms of where it goes and yeah, I think, the, I think where it goes and in terms of like the dialogue is not as good as the Hateful Eight, and so it felt like someone striving for that and like missing the mark. Well, we'll just uh, agree to disagree there. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's fine. Um, we don't have a lot of time to get into one of our classic disagreements. I will, uh, however, take our precious time to say totally thought that one of the Reapers was Tom Hollander. And it is not. It is a guy named Jojo o- John Joe O'Neill. Mm-hmm. Same. Same. Yeah. I was <laughs> deeply confused by that. I was like, oh, shit, it's Tom Hollander. And I was like, you did it again. <laughs> How do you keep making these people up to look like other people that I like? Um, I mean, he's good. Seven billion people, people in the world. Some of them are going to look alike. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just how it is. Yeah, he's good. Everyone in this is like good. I think the guy who plays the um, trapper. The trapper. You know, he's yeah. he's great. Uh his name is Chelsea Ross. Sure. I don't I, I don't know if I've ever seen him before. He seems to have a, a very long career though. Yeah, I could have sworn that I knew him from something, but like he's got a, a shockingly large Oh he's Connie on Mad Men. He is Connie on Mad Men. Yeah, he's Conrad Hilton. That's crazy. Um and then oh, gotcha, uh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, the yeah. Frenchman, um, I believe, is uh, Saul Rubinek, who plays Daphne's fiance on Frasier. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Mm. I saw him and I was like, "Oh shit, it's him." Um, but anyway, yeah. So this goes on, and it had a, it has like the the kind of like ending where you're like, "Oh, are they all dead already? Like, is that why the coachman is so like weird sure. and sepulchral in his his aspect, and why it looks like?" Every building is made out of cardboard, or is that just like a mood setting thing? You know, clearly these two guys are like dragging this dead dude up to the light, and uh, you know. But like by that point, I was like, I don't really care. You know, it's it's been a long dull ride to get to this long dull ride, and it's just making me think of the Hateful Eight, which is a much better movie. And I just was like, yeah, well, whatever. Yeah, sure. <laughs> any other any other thoughts on uh, the mortal remains? No, I, I enjoyed it. Okay, well, Bill was just able to go and say he enjoyed everything. Um, <laughs> I, I did not enjoy everything. <laughs> so the last thing I want to—I I guess you got into it a tiny bit at the beginning, but I'm just wondering whether you know after talking about it or after more reflection, uh, why do you think? Did you figure out a little bit more why you think this one worked for you more than other? Uh, Coen Brothers films in general. I, I, I honestly have no idea. Um, I wonder if it's because you didn't have to spend as much time with each story. Yes, and and I was able to get an impression of it. Kind of, I, I think them working in this structure means that they are, if if ever, they are streamlined a bit, mm-hmm. and so I can almost immediately kind of tell whether something is going to work for me or not. And so that kind of relaxes me in, in this kind of span um, in, in the format that they shot this in um, or not shot this in, but uh, I guess display it in. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, I I was just able to, and, and look like some of the Coen brothers films are immediately like fun to watch for me. Um, and some of them take a little bit more watching to, to kind of open up. Um, you know, I'm a huge fan of, of, um, big Lebowski, but that film took me about two or three attempts before I actually like found the humor that I had heard so much about. Um, it was that that film is also fucking convoluted as hell. And so when you start to realize you're not supposed to like follow it, then it allows you to kind of relax and have a little bit more fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 
these I think the fun ones at the beginning are fun. Uh, it's very easy to take them kind of on their surface. Um, and then the girl who got rattled and all go Canyon and mortal remains, are, I think are a little bit more kind of nuanced and subtle. And yeah, I, I don't know. I, I guess I was just able to find my way into them a lot more, uh, quickly hmm. than usual. So Hopefully that okay. answers your question a little bit. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it did. The yeah, and I think that the the Coens have a thing where like you never quite know what you're going to get into with them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's part of why I had such trouble with uh, Inside Lou and Davis at first. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you kind of have to see it to know what to expect from it, and then you watch it again. And you're like, ah, oh, yes, there you are. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Um, so yeah, that is the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Um, as we said, it is on Netflix now, so check it out. Um, if you're listening to this less than 24 hours before, uh, we recorded and released our episode on Roma, the newest film by Alfonso Cuaron, which is also on Netflix. So uh, yeah, if you're if you're looking for something a little different than Buster Scruggs, you can check that out. Um, that is it. And for that today. one, that one had a guest, and uh, it did. What we will also have, I, I bet you were just about to say it, Brian. Yes, but please go on, Michael. And, and no, we will also have mm-hmm. a, another, at least one more episode uh, this weekend. Yeah. Um, at with, the very least, you can expect to hear us and possibly a guest talk about Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Sure. Yes. And other things are still on the books. And yep, we'll Fox, have- Lux, <laughs> Vice, uh, If Beale Street Could Talk, Destroyer. Mm-hmm. This list just seems to get longer. It, it does. So we keep adding to it. Burning and Aquaman. We can get, yeah, I still Aquaman. Want to do Aquaman. <laughs> Bumblebee. Yeah, apparently Bumblebee's really good. So it's directed um, by the guy who did Kubo and the Two Strings. Yeah. So mm, the Three Strings, you mean? Yeah. Oh yes. Oh no! <laughs> we need to get out of here. <laughs> Yeah, you don't want to have another 30 minute long conversation about why it's called the two strings and not three. All right. So that was it. it. Uh, it's been a, it's been a great time. This is going to be one of our shortest podcasts ever. Um, even though we had initially tried to keep it even shorter than it is, but this is who we are. So again, <laughs> as always, uh, go to patreoncom slash the film stage show and give us your money. And indeed, you can go to mubi.com slash filmstage to get a free 30-day trial of MUBI, the online streaming cinema, where you can watch great foreign and independent films, as well as other classics, on your phone. And uh, if you're a monster, of course, uh, TV, your laptop, things like that. Uh, there's some great stuff that is on there that we've talked about. Michael, you've got like four days left on Hunger. Have you finished it yet? all right (laughs) oh dear god all right so that is that again that is mubi.com slash film stage i could watch that monday night right that'll work (laughs) good 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 luck with that i hope you actually do it um I i will be curious how you feel that it represents chicago politics oh boy all right. So that's that. Um, I think that that's all we've already talked about. We're going to be talking about next time and next time and next time and next time. So mm-hmm. gentlemen, let's tell the fine folks at home where we can be found between now and all of those next times. Bill Graham. Uh, you can find me in front of my couch or not in, in front, front of, of your couch. couch. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> in front of my TV, catching up on all these goddamn screeners. Uh, you know, it, it's funny because I was just listening to a podcast and they were talking about the misery slash like happiness that is screener season. And they were like, yeah, this is this is miserable, <laughs> but it's it's a good misery to have to like put yourself through. I got right? like my first set of like the screeners that I was like really looking forward to. It was like Isle of Dogs and the screenplay and Quiet Place and Hereditary. And I was like, how can mm-hmm. people ever hate this? This is Christmas. And then like seven days later, I was just like, I fucking hate this. Yeah. <laughs> my life is going to yeah. end in a pile of screeners. <laughs> anyway, Michael Snydell, where can we find you? 
you can find me uh, still deciding whether it's Goaty or Gotti. I was going to say, you're finally watching Goaty. <laughs> at Snyder on Twitter. Uh, yeah, and if Make you the right wanna, choices, Michael. If you want to figure out some of my opinions about maybe some of the movies we're <laughs> – we're talking about soon uh maybe look at my letterbox because <laughs> there might be some spoilers on there oh shit um and of course as always you can find me on twitter at brian j rowan that is my name for all the other things that i do uh keep that podcast feed refreshed because we have got some shit coming at you so fast that you may not even have listened to an episode before it is already pushed off of your feed by all of the other ones that come out <laughs> and um keep your eye on our twitter at film stage show to see what is uh, coming up and when it's going to come out and of course you can find all these episodes at filmstage.com so ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for joining us and tune in next time and the time after that said the cloud that started to cry Set the writers dry as a bone Who set the sun that melted the ground Why said the river that refused to run Where said the thunder without a sound Here said the writer and took up his gun